Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study that is posted on our website and is available for our podcast listeners every Sunday morning at 9.30. Now, that's the regular time for the congregation here at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ to meet in the building for Sunday morning Bible classes. We realize that there are some people who cannot be with us in person, and there are others who listen to our podcast Bible studies across the country and around the world. And we're thankful for all of those who might be doing that. And if, that's, if, if you are one of those, we're so thankful that we're able to reach out with God's word on such an extensive basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful you're there and that you want to study God's word and learn more about it. And we're always ready to try to help you do that even more than just by listening to these Bible studies. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we hope and we pray that you'll come and visit with us, that you'll study with us, grow spiritually with us, and ultimately, we want to help you get to heaven. As as you come to grow in your faith, the more you get into God's Word, the stronger you become in your faith for God and, and before Jesus Christ, His Son, your Lord and Savior. And as you grow spiritually, then our prayer is that you will come to the point where you say, I'm ready to come to God all the way through Jesus Christ, repenting of my sins, confessing my faith in him openly, and being baptized for the remission of my sins. If you are in another part of the country, or if you're shut in in the Omaha area, or if you're in another part of the world listening to these studies, we'd love to help you study more. We'd be glad to send you a free Bible study through the postal mail if you contact us and ask for it. You can contact us through our website at churchofchrist, churchofchrist.com. Click on the email link and you can contact us that way. Or you can phone us at 402-498-8397, 402-498-8397. Or... You can write to us at Sunny Slope, two words, S-U-N-N-Y-S-L-O-P-E, Church of Christ, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha, and our zip code is 68164. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But you might help somebody get into God's Word. You might help somebody get to heaven if you'll share these studies with them on a regular basis. And that'll be a great blessing for them. But it will also be a great blessing for you. Also encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com. Sign up for our podcasting. Just click on the podcast link. Sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It will always be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. And when they sign up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and also our daily radio program, Monday through Friday, Search the Scriptures. And what I think is a really valuable seven-day-a-week, Sunday, uh, Monday through Sunday, Bible study, a short Bible study, about only about 13 minutes each day, but it gets us into God's Word every single day, called Today's Bible Class. 
all of that is free and it will go automatically to your smart device whether that's your computer or laptop or pad or tablet or your smartphone whichever one you choose and again always free so encourage everyone you can to sign up for our podcasting at churchofchrist.com we're going to get back into our study from now we're all the way into the book of numbers and we're quite far into that book already as I had said, I'm skipping over sections that are dealing with uh, specific laws that were given through Moses from God to the people of Israel and a lot of details like that because uh, they, they get kind of you know technical and, and a little bit tedious to be able to get across effectively in a Bible study kind of format like we're doing here in, in, in these podcasts. Uh, but they're valuable for you to go ahead and study on your own. Now, again, those different laws, those different feasts, and how the tabernacle was to be built, and all the materials that were going to be put into that, all of the details that go, would go into the garments that the priests would wear, and all of that, that, that's really for that time back there, and for that people, the Israelites, and it really does not apply to us, except except for the realization that God does not leave us unprepared when he guides us in his will. So he gave the Israelites the instructions as to just how he wanted them to follow him in faithful obedience. Well, he gives us exact details as to how he wants us to follow him in Christianity as Christians. When we come to the 13th chapter of Numbers. We read through that last time, studied through it, and this was the text of Scripture where Moses sent 12 spies into the Promised Land to spy out the land. Now, God had promised the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, and then through Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob, and through Jacob's 12 sons who became the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And through those 12 tribes, the nation of Israel grew up. Moses has led them out of Egypt, wherein they had been in bondage for some time, led them to Mount Sinai, and now he has brought them to the southern border of Canaan, which, again, that land that God had promised to them through their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham, hundreds and hundreds of years before. When they get there, Moses sends in the 12 spies, one from each tribe to spy out the land. They come back, and, it, and, and at first, <clears throat> they give a good report of the land. They bring back some samples of the produce, and they say it's a land that flows with milk and honey. But then they changed their tune. In verse 28 of chapter 13, they said, now understanding a land that flows with milk and honey, a very positive, in other words, it's an abundant, it's a productive land, good land to live in. But then in verse 28, and that's verse 27, then verse 28, it's like 180 degree shift in their report. They say, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Well, okay, there's somewhere around a million to three million Israelites waiting to possess that land. 
and but they say the the people are strong. The cities are fortified. Okay, fortified would mean probably we're to understand they have walls built around them, and they're very large, large cities. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now that would mean giants, and there was a race of giants <clears throat> at that time in that part of the world. Well, now we're not talking about 40-foot-tall giants like Jack and the Beanstalk, fairy tale, but we're talking about men who would grow to be 8, 9, 10 feet tall. Well, certainly high in stature, but not that fairy tale kind of giant that we, you know, we read to our children about in, in, in storybooks. But nonetheless, these would have been mighty men, and they were men who would, along with the other men, be trained in, in warfare. And so the spies, they come back and, and they say, well, you know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, uh, but it's a land that is strong. The people are strong. The cities are fortified. The cities are large. There's giants in that land. And then they began to say the Amalekites dwell in the land to the south, the, Hitt the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Well, the land is highly populated. But then, verse 30, we find Caleb, one of the spies, he speaks up. He quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Well, Caleb's demonstrating incredible faith. Now, is his faith simply in the army of Israel, those men who would go to battle? Is that where his faith lay? No, his faith lay in God primarily. God had delivered them from the mighty power of Pharaoh back in Egypt, which included Pharaoh's mighty army and in fact destroyed to a great extent that army as it was pursuing the Israelites across the Red Sea. And God destroyed that army as he closed the waves back up over those chariots pursuing the Israelites. God took care of them at Mount Sinai. He took care of them through the wilderness, gave them water to drink miraculously, gave them manna to eat every day, every morning, gave them quail to eat for meat. God took care of them. Caleb says, we're well able to overcome it. Let's go right away. But verse 31, the men who had gone up with him said, so we're talking about 10 other spies, we are not able to go up against, this, against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Now they'd already given them a good report. Back in verse 27, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. And here's some of its fruit. They brought back samples. They brought back, they brought back a, 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 some grapes that they had taken off the vine that they carried on a stick between two men carrying that. It was so abundant. But now they say, it's a, it, it's a, we're going to give you a bad report. The land which they had spied out, the land through which we have gone as spies as a land that devours its inhabitants. Really? I thought they said there were strong people there. I thought they said there were massive cities, fortified cities, and giants were there. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great stature. Now, no, that's not true. 
there was a group, a descendancy of giants there, but that was not all the people in the land. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. When we looked up, we, we, we just shrunk in our own image. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. As we closed last time, I made the point that that was a statement of self-defeat. It's one thing for somebody to try to intimidate us by putting us down, calling us names, trying to make us feel insignificant. But it's something completely different when we start thinking about ourselves along those same terms. So when they said we were like grasshoppers in the sight of those giants, okay, so that's the giant's perspective. But when they said we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, we can call that the grasshopper complex, that's a statement of self-defeat. And so they said, uh, we can't do this. We can't go take that land. It's going to be self-destruction for us. Well, Caleb had spoke up. Now, there's another one of the spies who's also is going to speak up, and that would be Joshua. So as we begin getting into the text of chapter 14, he comes onto the scene as well. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Now, you see how, what an influence a few, a very small minority of people can have on a populace? On a whole much larger group of people? Here are 10 men who are saying, this is a hard land that devours its inhabitants. We can't conquer this land. There's giants over there. We're insignificant in our own sight. We can't do this. Self-defeat. So the people in general wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. What a group of fickle people again. I know I keep using that, that expression. But we're so wishy-washy as human beings so many times. They had seen God's miracles. They had seen God's deliverance. They had seen God's protection repeatedly. And here they are. Now, they had cried to God under the oppression that they had experienced in Egypt at the hands of Pharaoh and the government and the military, cried to God for deliverance, and he gave them that deliverance. And now they say, oh, if we had only died in Egypt, or if we'd only died in this wilderness. My word how weak their faith truly was. Verse 3 goes on. They go on with their lament. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Huh. Why has the Lord brought us to this land, the land that they were looking forward to, to go to and possess and inhabit. They've already defeated themselves. We're going to be slaughtered. Our wives and children have become victims. Would, shouldn't we just go back to Egypt? Again, they had cried to God for deliverance from the oppression that they were experiencing in Egypt. 
when God delivered them and Moses led them out of the land, they rejoiced. And now they're thinking, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Wouldn't that be better? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Well, they realize probably Moses is not going to lead us back. Moses has led us here. So let's select a different leader and to lead us back to Egypt. Let's go make some more bricks for Pharaoh. <laughs> as oppressive as he was. Let's go back and, and notice they say, our children, our wives and children should become victims. Let's go back and let him issue another decree to have our newborn male babies thrown in the Nile River. You might think, are you crazy? Do you realize what you're saying? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, here's another one who speaks up, for God's power to give them the victory in the promised land. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out, who were, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, "The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land, exceedingly good land, not just a good land, an exceedingly good land." Well, what did those other ten spies said? It's a land that devours its inhabitants. Then that was in direct contrast to what they had said earlier. Strong people live there, massive cities, fortified cities. Giants are over there. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And so Joshua speaks up, and Caleb, speak up, Caleb they speak up again, and they said, the land we pass through is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Again, that very positive, glowing description of the production of the land as far as food is concerned. A land that flows with milk and honey. And if God delights in us, if he's pleased with us, he'll give us possession of this land. And the people should have said, yeah, 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 we remember. He's already delivered us from Egypt, from slavery. He's already delivered us from thirst, from hunger, from the pursuing Egyptian army. He's already delivered us over and over again. But that was not their reasoning. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. And then the rebuke and the warning from Joshua and Caleb. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Whoa, what descriptive language that is. They are our bread. Huh. In other words, they shall be as food for us. Now, he's not talking about cannibalism. 
He's saying, we will eat them up in battle. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joshua and Caleb are reminding the people, God is on our side. Don't fear those people. God will give us the victory. We'll eat them up. We might put it in a contemporary language along the line, we'll eat their lunch. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Oh my. Again, the wishy-washiness, the fickleness, the weak faith of the people. Were Joshua and Caleb able to dissuade the people? No, people wanted to kill them. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. God came onto the scene. Of course, he was always there. But now he made his appearance more recognizable. Remember appearing in the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? We should be so thankful that God is a patient God. Because if he were not, then humankind would no longer be in the face of this earth. God gives us time to come to our senses, to repent and come to him in faithful obedience and dedication and service. Second Peter 3 and verse 9. But here he's questioning Moses. He's rebuking the people. How long will they not believe me? All I've done for them, so obvious, so open, and so continual. How will they not How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed performed among them? And then God pronounces the potential for judgment upon the people. He says, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. He's telling Moses again. Now he's already talked to Moses about that possibility. I will strike them with the pestilence. I'm going to bring them down. And I will rise up a new nation from your seed, your descendancy, Moses, a a nation greater and mightier than they. So the Israelites already numbered, as I said, somewhere probably one to three million in population at least. And God says, I'll raise up a greater people, mightier than this people. I'll start with you from scratch. And here's the lesson we all need to remember and keep in our minds. God does not need us. We need God. We might think in this land in which we live, such a glorious land, such a glorious nation from a human perspective. God needs us. No, God does not need us. We need God. And the more we push God out of the picture the more corrupt our land becomes, the more evil our population becomes, the greater the wickedness that we slip into. 
God does not need us. We need God. God can always, always raise up a new people. He's God. But verse 13, Moses responded. He said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them. And Moses is saying, what about the Egyptians back there? If you destroy all this people, they'll hear about it. What will they think then about your people and about you? They will tell it to the inhabitants of, the land, of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering, in other words, patient, and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on, and let me turn the page here, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. So Moses is saying, if you kill these people, those unbelievers back there in Egypt, they're going to spread bad, bad word about you. They're going to tell the inhabitants of this land that you have promised to your people that you couldn't deliver it to them, and so you killed them in the wilderness. Don't let them have that false impression. Please be long-suffering with your people here. Forgive them. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgotten, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And Moses pleads for the people. The people were going to select another leader. They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And Moses prays for his people, for forgiveness, for God's patience with them and forgiveness upon them. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory... And the signs which I, did, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, ten times they had displayed weak faith before God and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. 
Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And God would also bless Joshua, ultimately with entrance into and possession of the land. But what he is pronouncing here, I'm not sure the people at that particular time, the Israelite people, understood the gravity of it or the depth of God's ultimate judgment upon them. He pardons the people in response to Moses' prayer for his pardon for the people, for their unfaithfulness. But he says, all the earth will be filled with my glory. And because these have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and still have had weak faith and sometimes perhaps losing their faith altogether, putting me to the test 10 times so far, have not heeded my voice, not a single one of them, that is all the adults, not a single one of them, shall enter the promised land. Well, God's going to give it to the people. He's going to give it to the Israelites, but it's going to be to their children whom they complained might have been about to die at the hands of the inhabitants of the promised land. God's going to lead the children into that land. The adult population is going to die out in the wilderness. We talk about the wilderness wanderings of of Israel. Let me put it in a different frame of reference. They piddled in the wilderness for the next approximately 40 years until the entire adult generation would die out, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb and possibly the tribe of Levi. But all the rest would piddle around in the wilderness for 40 years and die in the wilderness because of their lack of faith in God's power and willingness and promise to give them the promised land. Their lack of faith would keep them out. A lesson for us today. We need to demonstrate our faith in God through consistent faithfulness and trust him to keep his word and his promises. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. Oh, how we need your patience, your long-suffering with us because we are so wishy-washy at times, so fickle. Please be patient with us. Please forgive us, gracious Father. And deliver us from the hands of the wicked one, the devil himself. And lead us in faithfulness into the promised land of heaven itself. Guide us, help us to be faithful. Again, please forgive us and we pray to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.